0: Hello and welcome to another episode of a Brother's Creed podcast where we talk about motivation, experiences, and exploring the world around us. We're the Thomas Brothers. I'm Ethan. And I'm Jared. And today we have
1: a great episode where we interview a couple who is uh, fostering children uh, from the foster system. Uh, Rishi and Lisa decide they are an excellent interview today. And really they just share with us the process of fostering children, uh, what their experiences have been. They've been through several children. Some have been returned to the the biological parents and some are still with them. It's an excellent interview. Uh, These guys are being the change that they want to see in the world. So uh, let's go ahead and jump in.
0: All right, let's do it.
2: Spartans! What is your profession? Any man who must say I am the king is no true king. What I do have are a very particular set of skills. Skills that make me a nightmare. If I can change... You can change. Everybody can
3: change. Let us all unite. Let us fight for a new world, a decent world.
1: Okay, Rishi and Lisa, thank you so much for joining us on this episode. We are so excited to talk about fostering, uh, being foster parents, and, and all that. I was just looking up uh, before we met today uh, on some... Fostering statistics and found that about f- there's in the US, there's about 415 to about 430,000 foster kids in the system every single year. Uh, and that just absolutely boggled my mind uh, that these many kids are, you know, wards of the state, essentially, right? Uh, and so, uh, you guys, uh, have, uh, been, uh, foster parents for some time and we are so excited to hear about your experience, uh, from the beginning. So maybe that's where we should start as, as, from the beginning. Uh, can you tell us how you guys became aware of this or became interested in fostering?
3: Yeah, sure. Uh, so from an early age, I had a feeling that I wanted to adopt Uh, When I started a family, I didn't have a lot of interest in having a biological child of my own. And then after hearing about foster care and what these children go through and the impact that even a short stay in foster care can have on someone's life um, really, really moved me. And I thought, what a great way to change the trajectory of a child's life and have this lasting impact. Um, So I knew that that would be my goal at some point. And then we surprisingly became parents to a biological child. And once that happened, and you imagine for a moment that your child is needing to go through this turmoil and needs to adapt to a new environment and needs to bond with a new family, and that's just heartbreaking. And so it really, I don't know, kind of forced me to think, well, we should be that person since we have the ability, we have the love, we have the space so that a child can have a smoother transition into that kind of chaotic life.
2: Yeah, and for me it was um, like, uh, Lisa used to be a teacher for quite some time with young children and um, we'd come home after work and she'd tell me some stories about the kids she was dealing with, the environment that they were in, and sometimes they weren't great and and, uh, it was just hard to hear. And as Lisa said, like, You know, some of these kids like really need that extra love and attention that um, that can really change their life and their trajectory, even if they're in this system for a year of their lives, that uh, year of their life, uh, that can make a big impact on their their future. And um, we need more families that are are willing to help out uh, during those hard times in a child's life.
1: That's so cool. I love what you guys were saying. And it sounds like, you know, you had that desire. Uh, and then once you actually became parents, you're like, oh my gosh, this is amplified even more because now I know how much love I can have for a kid. And I can't even imagine a kid's going through this or, or being less fortunate. I know with Yeah, this... it
3: puts it in perspective.
1: Oh, totally. I know, I know with this whole COVID thing, you know, when the kids were going back home from school, a lot of kids, uh, the only meals that they eat are at school. Uh, and yeah. that just absolutely breaks my heart that these kids, uh, do that. And there's not really, at the end of the day, there's not a whole lot the government or the state can really do about it. It's, uh, you know, families, uh, like, like you both, uh, and people that are just stepping up to the plate and saying, Hey, I have a open heart, uh, and, and, and have space and I have love to, to bring some kids into my home like this that maybe are are in a bad situation.
3: Yeah, Rishi mentioned that I uh, was a teacher for a number of years. Uh, I only worked in extremely high need districts, um, and that's just a population that I really felt compelled to be around. And we would send food home through different food programs with the kids for the weekend because there was no guarantee that they even had things to eat, you know, when they weren't at school. Um, and we would like sponsor the kids in the school too for holidays because they wouldn't have. Uh, access to gifts or anything like that so it's kind of been like a theme in yeah. my life and then uh just i don't know making a bigger impact doing this and, and those
2: kids aren't even in foster care right? yeah so some these, of, them, of these kids were, were, but... are yeah some yeah. of them were but many of them weren't so just imagine like how bad it has probably to get... multiplied oh yeah. uh, in situations where they are in foster care or, or sure. near foster near approaching that that uh mm-hmm.
0: One that thing stage. that one thing that 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 both of you said that kind of intrigued me is you said that the impact you can have on a child's life in even such a short amount of time, and yeah. I that, w- that kind of hit you know struck me because it's like man even if you're with someone you know you get one of these kids in that maybe has not had the experience of uh, a, a a loving home that's secure and safe and comfortable then you know, they get into that experience and I could see how it would be life changing for them just emotionally to say, you know, wow, I can, you know, I could live like this. You know, my future doesn't have to be the same future as my parents. And so it's almost, it almost seems like it would be motivation to them to see that they're, that, that they, they're so much more than their circumstance. You know, I think children and Jared and I both have four kids. Um, uh, each and children just they have this uh, this attitude of I can do anything sometimes and mm. uh, it, it, it's sad sometimes because we put kids in in boxes and we say mm. oh you have to it has to be this way or it has to be that way and 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 sometimes circumstances make them feel like they're stuck um, but getting exposure and everything else even if just for a short amount of time to. a more loving and suitable circumstance, I think is, is really, really cool. So that kind of leads into my next question of is, is the foster program, is it typically a a short-term program or is the, is the purpose of fostering to get these children back to their families or uh, is there a hope to uh, you know, uh, uh, adopt a child after this foster kind of what's 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 the goal and what's the 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 path and and, and plan or trajectory of fostering?
3: Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, so as you mentioned earlier, there are approximately four hundred thousand kids in foster care, and about twenty five percent of those are eligible for adoption. Uh, the goal of foster care is always going to be reunification with the biological family. They like to call themselves the first family. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's always uh, the, the drive in the system. Um, unfortunately that doesn't happen in a lot of cases and a lot of things can impact that too. Um, but typically a child needs to be in the system for about uh, 15 months out of the most recent two years of their life. And once they're in the system for 15 months, then you can start moving towards and need to move towards uh, termination of parental rights. And then once those rights are terminated and that whole process is done and and the parents can appeal that of course, it can kind of drag on a little bit. And then once that happens, the child is then eligible for adoption. Uh, As long as the foster parent has a good relationship with that child and things seem to be vibing positively, they usually get kind of the first say in if they want to adopt or not. And we have been asked that for two out of our three uh, kiddos. Um, So they usually kind of go to you first and then they have a great database of other families who they know are already looking to adopt, foster to adopt, just straight up adopt. And they go to them next
1: interesting uh, you mentioned like the court system I mean, involved with this whole thing is is the court system and i know rishi uh, you know he's said a couple times oh you know we've got uh, you know a court date we have to go to or how involved are you with the court system i i would imagine that the state really handles most of that but maybe you just need to be there as a support Could, can you maybe talk to us a little bit about that
3: sure Um, So about every three months they have a permanency hearing and it's just kind of a check in to see how everything is going in their home, um, kind of looking at the next steps and making a plan together for what the next few months are going to look like for that kid. Um, The child needs to appear at every other hearing, so probably a couple times a year, that child needs to physically be there. The judge asks them a few questions, how they're doing. So at those hearings, we do have a little bit of a voice. We provide updates. We highlight things that they're not receiving, that they need to be receiving, highlight any achievements that are going on. Um, And we also are able to fill out a small survey that gets mailed to us for each hearing, and that kind of asks how everything's going with the caseworker, um, if there's anything that is not being provided that we really feel like needs to be provided, um, if there's any wild behaviors that are going on, uh, anything we're concerned about at school, all of that. So we do have a little bit of a say during those court hearings. Um, But otherwise, it's usually through the caseworker and through the child's attorney and through their court-appointed advocate that we're kind of communicating with the court system the most. So we're providing updates to them, medical, physical, mental, all of it. And then they're kind of putting together court reports and bringing it forward to the judge.
2: Yeah, so it's a lot of conversation and connecting with those people who are either appointed or or advocating for the child, whether that's their their legal counsel, their uh, caseworker, et cetera, it, it's these people that we're constantly meeting with, and they're they're there to represent the child uh, at those court hearings. In totality, they're there to to really um, amplify our voices and our experiences and and what the child is going through with their own interactions with those with those children as well, um, to make sure you know they're their needs are being met and, and their, their future is being considered.
3: And that's one thing that kind of surprised us, which we were just talking about how much of an advocate sometimes you need to be for this kid there's so many players involved and so many people who want the best for them but they have these massive caseloads especially recently when there's just such a struggle to find people to do these positions and there's such an increase in children who need help um, that this stranger is now placed in your home and in a very short amount of time you have become the expert on this child and what they need. So your perspective is invaluable to everybody else. And it's just kind of weird. Like, you know, I met this kid a few weeks ago and I'm making all these calls and I'm the one who everyone is trusting to know what's best for this kid's future.
1: It's it's almost like, yeah, correct me if I'm wrong here, but it seems like, you know, providing a roof, a meal, rides to school, that's almost the easy part it's really rescuing these kids from the situations that they're in and advocating for them. That's really where the real work is. Is that a correct assessment? Absolutely.
3: Absolutely. So, I mean, these kids are wired now a certain way because of their life experience and their brain has made these connections and, uh, they've fallen behind in school. Just our most recent kid, she was uh, six years old and could not sing the alphabet could not count past 10 and just these decisions that are going to impact their academic life and how their brains are rewiring and what they're learning and how they form connections in the future too. It is mind boggling. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And it's, it's also quite mentally exhausting as a, I'm sure as a, a foster parent to hear some of these stories of where these children are, are coming from. And a lot of the times we're piecing together the story from conversations we're having with various different parties, right? Like we're not in communication with the uh, biological parents and there's only so much that can be shared with us, but from what we hear from the children, what we hear from, from others, um, sometimes it's it's really heartbreaking to hear some of the things that they're exposed to or, or have gone through, but the way they see it, it's, it's normal. And that's, what's, that's what's so interesting about um, their attitude as they, uh, are taken out of their, their home is why, right? Like, and, and, um, not really knowing yeah. why, what they, the situation they were in was wrong. Cause that was normal to them. Yeah. Right. So when, when they came into our home, just, um, our most recent two placements, uh they thought that things we did like brushing our teeth before bed that was weird that was a weird thing to do
3: yes making uh, them sit in booster seats in the car was weird yeah Hell. making them sleep in a bed instead of on the floor was weird oh like, wow it's just wild
0: yeah i was gonna ask i was gonna ask for some examples but the i mean those are great examples right things that what we would think would just be completely normal everyday things yeah i, I mean I know that Rishi's told me some
1: things, but uh, you know some of the, the heartbreak that you just would feel from, from some of the things that these children are revealing. I mean, at, at one point, you're like, I'm so glad that they're out of that. But at another point, you're like, I, I feel so bad that they've had to go through that. And they're not alone. There's 400,000 other kids going through the, something similar likely.
3: Yes. It's one of those things you almost can't think about it too much because it's just like a dark cloud on your very soul. (laughs) Um, Yeah. So you kind of have to learn to compartmentalize a little bit Mm -hmm. and just like focus on what you're doing and the difference that you can make. But yeah, some of the stories will keep you up at night. And the more they're in your home, the more they're comfortable sharing things that they've experienced, things that were done to them, things that they think is normal. And it's just very just you just need to be so gentle in how you approach those things and direct them and discuss that all that stuff with them, too. And just kind of lead by example and show them what a family should look like and how grownups should be treating you and what you deserve in life.
2: Yeah, they're obviously naturally curious. So they're asking questions about why, like, why can't I? live with my mom or live with my dad anymore like why can't I go see them yeah so it that's those are really challenging conversations and two of our placements were on the younger side especially the infant obviously like not really knowing what they're going through but the six-year-old in particular like had full understanding of what was happening and had a lot of questions and that was our first experience fostering someone um, you know who was able to comprehend And ask questions about the situation Mm -hmm. um so that was an interesting challenge for us that you know you hear about like going through those kind of situations but you really don't know how you're going to react and how you're going to answer until you're actually asked the question and uh yeah that's really a tough um answer to give you you gotta tell them be truthful but yet not share you know really the, the the dark truth that that could be
0: yeah, and, and, and I know that, um, you know, obviously these stories uh, are, are personal to, y- to you and the, um, uh, you know, the, the foster placements that you have in your home. Um, but what would, it's so you can talk in generality if you want, but what, what would qualify a, someone, a child to need to go into foster care? Would it be like, you know, the. Uh, the 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 only parent went to prison, or I mean, what what are some situations? And you can talk generally, but what are some situations that would qualify a child to to need to be placed into foster care?
3: Yeah, so um, it's avoided at all costs. Foster care is absolutely the last resort, and there's a number of things in place to try to prevent it as much as possible. They have uh, in-home caseworkers. So, when they identify a family that could potentially lose their children or just a family who has a lot of confounding variables that are kind of worrisome, they usually assign them an in home caseworker who visits the home. They p- try to provide some life skills, try to get steady employment, try to make sure homing is secure for the parents, offer- life skills for, for the, the parents. parents. Okay. Yep. Mm hmm. Um, and then they're, you know, making sure the kids are enrolled in school, they're checking on attendance, making sure that, um, food is being provided, all that kind of stuff. So they do try and prevent foster care as much as possible. Um, but when it can't be prevented because of neglect or abuse, then that's what ends up happening. Um, most of the time, especially in our area, kids are sent to foster care due to neglect from mental illness or drug abuse by the parents. Um, we were kind of trained and expecting it to be a lot more physical and sexual abuse. And that's kind of what you have in your mind when you think about foster care. Yeah. But it's actually the red flags kind of go up when kids start missing school a lot. And it's just that kind of neglect that um, so, so it sorts of it makes people kind of look more closely at the family and what's going on. And that's sort of. The result but yeah um prison can be another one um in those situations they always try and look for a kinship placement first and they'll move mountains to make sure that, that kid stays with some sort of family um but when that's not possible then they end up in a system with us so, so yeah i don't know how
2: common it is but I've, I've heard like foster kids moving across state lines yeah uh across the country to go live with uh, you know, a relative who's, who's willing to raise their hand.
3: Yeah, that's always preference. So
1: if there's 400,000 kids in foster care, I mean, you say, let's just say there's, you know, sometimes there's multiple siblings, and I know, I know you guys have a situation where there's siblings, but, like, mm-hmm. let's just say there's 300,000 adults out there that don't have anybody that's, that can support them, like any parents or anything that they could go send their kids to, that's a crying shame. I mean, that, yeah, that in that itself is hard to believe that, that someone's, else's brother or sister or parents wouldn't say hey I'll take those kids while or I or I need to take your kids from you
3: yeah and and we've seen kind of situations where family steps up but cannot maintain the standard of care that's required oh okay uh, and it can be even something like the the court has said that the child is not allowed to have any sort of contact with the biological family Mm-hmm. But the kin who has now taken this child in is feeling manipulated Uh or guilty or doesn't understand how serious it is. And we actually had, that's why our infant was placed with us when he was about five months old, that he was with another family member who was not keeping up their end of the deal. And after chance, 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 this kid then needed to be removed. So even when the family does step in, it's not always a better situation.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Now, you guys mentioned you mentioned earlier that you were kind of expecting more of this. Can you tell us about what that early training is? Like if someone says, Hey, I want to get into fostering, what does that look like early on? How do you get involved with the state? What do you need to do? Any types of trainings or anything? And then maybe from there we can go into how you get a child and what kind of parameters you're open to. That that would be excellent to understand.
3: Yeah, sure. So we didn't know a ton. We reached out to the county, um, and, uh, children, youth and families, and they right away send you an intimidating packet, uh, that tells you all the different trainings you need to have completed the bajillion forms you need to fill out (laughs) and even describes the autobiography that you need to write about yourself.
2: Yeah. You need to provide basically like a financial background, right? Like how much money do you have here, there? Like, do you own property? Like, it gets it gets pretty deep um and then uh i guess the most challenging part for for us was like a 10-page autobiography essentially 10 pages wow (laughs) yeah about about us about our our family about our connection to you know others in the community um how we feel about i I don't even remember all the parts like religion yeah some of it
3: was even how we were parented as children and what that experience and how that's going to impact our parenting the foster child and yeah so mm. it, it was helpful because it makes you reflect on your past a little bit and makes you like dive into things that you kind of buried a little bit but um yeah so then we so we had to go through that packet then there's all the trainings you have to do which is kind of not surprising like cpr first aid um child abuse prevention that sort of thing you need to be fingerprinted background checked all of that And then uh, CYF also provides their own training. And that focuses a little bit more on parenting, how to deal with certain situations, um, what trauma does to the developing brain of these children and how trauma might present itself in your home, um, the different support systems that are available to you, all that kind of stuff. So then you go through their whole program and then you're approved, I would say six to nine months most likely from start to finish. Wow, that's a and long time. They,
2: there's, it yeah, there's is. There's also like the home inspection, right? So right. they'll come they inspect and your
1: home.
3: inspect
2: your home, make sure you've got like outlet covers for, for kids and uh, medicine is like tucked away where where it can't be reached. There's no like detergent or anything that, that could be potentially harmful liquids uh, accessible. Um, you have to have a no smoking sign up in your home because we're not, you know, there's no smoke, smoking allowed around these these children um so we have one up uh, on our door here um really you can't just
1: you can't just yell at people when they come in your house smoking (laughs) 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 like i'm the sign i'll personally yell at people who are smoking
3: (laughs) yeah yeah (laughs) yeah so we have to have uh, the home inspection done and then they also have a couple interviews with you and they interview you as a couple they want to check out how you interact with each other and um, just ask you a whole bunch of questions. And it, I mean, nothing super uncomfortable, nothing that felt like too much. Mm-hmm. It, it's almost uh, reassuring because mm-hmm. you want to make sure people are properly vetted. So you do have to be willing to be an open book, mm-hmm. but it's a relief because you want everyone to be clear of anything before they get into this.
0: I would, uh, I would anticipate that a lot of these children, especially the older children that are in the foster care system and that get placed in a family, um, that there's a potential for some major behavioral issues. Um, You know, I have, with my kids, you know, when when they act up or when they have behavioral issues, you know, are there certain rules as far as, I don't want to use the word discipline, but like, Mm -hmm. I mean, how how does that work? I mean, how, how do you, how do you try to correct action when they're used to maybe more of like a, you know, potentially a physical reaction or, you know, do you do timeouts or do you do, I, I don't know. How, are you guys told what you can and can't do as far as discipline goes?
3: A little bit. So they do trust you to run it as if it's your child and you are trusted to make those consequences known and have the rules laid out uh, just however you prefer to in your home. Um, we do have to sign a waiver that says we uh, agree that we will never use spanking or any physical sort of punishment on the child, that we will never uh, restrict food as part of a consequence, that we will never in, um, ask them to do like labor as part of a consequence, anything like that. So great. That's fine. wouldn't do it for our own child anyway.
1: I do that um, all the time. I, I make my kids work. <laughs> If my, Well, my, my older ones, at least, if they're acting up, I'm like, mom's got tons of chores for you around the house.
3: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Down in the quarry, getting limestone out. <laughs> Yeah, exactly.
1: No, nothing, that, nothing, nothing that strenuous. Just cleaning up the shoes and stuff like that.
3: <laughs> yeah. All reasonable. All reasonable. Um, yeah. So I guess the first step in dealing with behavior is making expectations known and consequences known. And in those first few weeks, you want to hold the child to the same expectation, but also with a little bit of grace and understanding. Um, So you're just explaining, this is the way we do things in our family. It might be a little bit different than how you're used to doing it, but this is how it works for us. Uh, If it is an older child, welcome their feedback on certain things. If they feel like whatever it is, the curfew or expectation for TV time or whatever isn't fair, then it's great to have a dialogue about that. Um, But it's totally normal to see some wild behaviors, not even things that, you know, that they're used to doing at their previous home, but also just this is a totally new environment, totally new expectations, totally new people. I don't trust you. Um, So just patience um, and kind of being curious all the time as to what the root of the issue is and if they're doing that just because they need more connection, doing that because they need to talk to their siblings a little bit, doing that. You know, just because they're feeling out of control. Just yeah, kinda, it just, yeah. yeah, it so.
2: takes like just a, uh, like Lisa said, like extra patience, and you really have to think beyond the behavior. Like, why are they doing this, and you know, what's the cause of it, and what kind of conversations or things can we do to redirect that kind of behavior or in, in a different kind of outlet, whether that's talking about it or or whatnot. And um, yeah, when we got um, our most recent placements. Uh, they they came to our door at, what was it, like 9 p.m. Mm. And these kids had been, I think, in court all day. Clearly, they were lacking sleep, but um, they did not want to go to sleep. And they were running around the room, kicking and screaming and jumping on the bed. And, uh, you know, we weren't sure what we were getting ourselves into. But um, after a few days uh, of just kind of like calmer environment and and really making sure we were being patient uh especially because I feel like these kids mirror some of the reaction of the the elders right mm-hmm. so if we feel like our emotions are getting a little bit um out of line and and, and too reactive um that they, they might feel more comfortable doing that but always kind of like managing your own uh expectations your own patience can can help them also kind of mirror that uh as well but um, yeah, it's, it's surprising how quickly they, they can do that. And, um, being a good example, I think is, is, mm-hmm. uh, is key. And yeah. being
3: very intentional about the reason for the rules that you have in place yeah. and communicating the why behind everything. And this is why we do this. And this is healthy for your body, or this is how I know you're safe or whatever that is too. Yeah. And also when you have a partner who you can say like, I need to tap out for a second <laughs> This is a little too much for me. Can you kind of come in and take over for a second is helpful. Oh,
0: yeah. I think that's just good parenting advice just in general. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Outs- outside of the foster program, just in general, if you have kids, you know, any type of kids, that's that's great advice. Yeah.
1: And yeah, I think, sure. like you said, your example sets such a tone. I mean, for some kids, maybe a six-year-old, they can understand kind of like, well, you, well, you, know, you tell them and you can tell them again and again, like, I'm trying to help you. This is what I'm trying to do. But like my three-year-old, I mean, he's just a wild man. He'll just run around and we'll tell him to stop and then he'll get hurt. And we're like, I just told you to stop 20 times, you know? So I think that example and just the calm nature of, of the home is really that uh, sets the precedent. Uh, so, so you guys talked about, you know, the process of, of becoming foster parents. Can you tell us about like when after the trainings are all done, after everything's ready, what did you uh, do? You tell them, hey, I want age. Like what? do you can you give parameters can you give mm-hmm. uh a gender or like what what is what is all that can you explain help i understand that
3: yeah surprisingly you can be very very specific oh really yes so so the system is so thankful for you for opening up your home and being willing to take on this that uh they want to keep you as happy as possible in terms of who you're getting mm-hmm. so you can determine gender you can determine age You can determine race. Hmm. You can determine even uh, neurodiversity, behavior issues, anything. Really. So you can say, you know, I'm not comfortable having a child who has, you know, this known trauma and is acting out in this way. We're not ready for that. Or we're not ready for a child who um, is on like this part of the spectrum or whatever it is. Um, And you can always change that at any point. Hmm. And um, you can say, you know, how many children you want. Um, so yeah, it's really up to you. They will call you with somebody outside of your parameters if needed. So they will try to get somebody <laughs> else in there. But I mean they're desperate. So I yeah. understand. Yeah. But um, but yeah, and you're always welcome to say no and change things as you need to change them. And it's really up to you. And you which never you weren't expecting.
1: Do you know the timeline? I mean, if they say they call you up and say, Hey, we've got a well you said all the parameters, we've got a 6 a 6-month-old uh, white girl who needs a home tonight. Uh, do you know how long it could last or or, or what are this or did they have an estimate of that?
2: That's a really good question because I think we've that's one of our first questions when we get a when when we get a call is how long could this be and most of the time they they don't know, right? Mm-hmm. It could be it could be an, a night a, two night thing it could be in the case of our first placement um you know I think it was like 10 eight months uh, months. um Mm. so yeah it's really um it really varies based on the situation and you kind of get a better understanding as things progress and where how involved the parents might be uh you know in the child's life and where they are um but I'd say it really varies I don't Mm.
3: know
0: you. Yeah.
3: So I'll backtrack one second because there's two different kinds of placements. So you can sign up to be an emergency placement or standard placement and standard. They might have a week or two notice. They might have a month notice because they know a court date is going to be scheduled and they're pretty confident at that court date that the child will be removed. Mm-hmm. And then there's emergency placement where the kid is at the hospital after an injury or at the police station after an incident oh, wow. or, you know, court took a surprising turn and that kid cannot return in that moment. And we've had that happen where it's like a kid's coming in an hour. Get ready. Oh wow, jeez. Um, but you can choose if you want to be available for emergency and get a call at two in the morning and have a child appear, or if you just want to be a standard placement where you have time to prepare. You might even have a chance to visit with the kid before they're placed with you and get to know uh-huh. them a little bit too. So that's the more ideal situation, and yeah. you can opt for that. Um, but yeah, so so when you get a call for a kid, you ask questions and you ask uh, about the bio parent involvement in the kid's life. Uh, What happened in the last court date? Um, What sort of trauma has this kid experienced? What do they need to feel comfortable? What's their school like? All that kind of stuff. Um, And then that kind of can give you a little bit of an indication. You know, there is a vile parent involved. They've never had custody, but they're fighting for custody. Okay, then I know the kid might be here for a month or two and then leave. We have tried all their kin. Nobody's stepping up. This is the third time they've been removed. Okay, now I know this kid is here permanently. You know, buckle up. Here we are. Yeah. So sometimes they can give you a little bit of an idea then, um, but often, even if they have an idea, things happen very unexpectedly and plans change wildly. Mm-hmm. So you can't even bank on anything they say anyway, because there's so many players involved and everything's subjective. You never know.
0: So, so how many how many foster uh, children have you have you had or if you feel comfortable, do you currently have? And and I know you said at the beginning that there was one that stayed for about eight months. And then have you had some that have come and have left? And if so, how was that process? I can imagine that it it might be difficult to build a relationship with a child over an extended period of time of months. And then, and then now you, you you know, you have to, I want to say, give that child back, but yeah, say goodbye
3: Yeah, so we've been doing this for just over a year, so we're not veterans by any means, but we've had three placements. Uh, We had a baby boy, and then we had a three-year-old girl and a six-year-old girl, Uh, and those two overlapped. So that's why we kind of fit it all into a year. Mm -hmm. Um, And saying goodbye is rough. You're used to being that child's everything, You're used to worrying about them. You're used to having control over their life too. And to suddenly not have that. Um, So in two of the situations, the child moved to a pre adoptive home that this family was interested in adopting. And for us, it was the best situation because the family was willing to take that child and siblings. Oh, okay. And that was something that we're not prepared to do yet. We're not interested in adopting right now. We would like to continue fostering and helping as many as we can. And we're certainly not open to like adopting with the whole family at this moment. (laughs) So that was ideal for us and felt like the right decision. They should be with their siblings. That was best. And then the one was able to be reunified with her biological father uh, who had never had custody of her before, but was stepping up and checking all the boxes and proving to the state that he was willing to do what it took to get her back. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. Sometimes those buys goodbyes are fast too, right? Like with the one who was reunited yeah. with uh, her biological mm-hmm. father, it was um, a matter of a couple hours. of days. No, uh, like so, I mean, we had an idea, but it was a matter of hours. Yeah.
3: When, we knew the court date was coming and that it was a slight possibility. Oh yeah. So I was checking with their advocate and their attorney and their caseworker and everybody was like, there's no way. She's going to be with you for a few more months. He's never had her. Don't you worry. She's had one visit with him, right? (laughs) So I'm relaxed. Then it's the day of the court date. She's taking a nap in the afternoon. And I get a call that says, wake her up. Dad's coming to take her. Say goodbye.
2: Oh my gosh. We had to pack all of her things. Yeah. And and get everything ready. So we
3: weren't really ready for that. That was emotional. And we also had... Uh, for a short time we had her two sister her half sisters uh, with us that day and telling them was probably the hardest part because they had seen what the situation was like with this man Mm -hmm. and had seen things in the past and did not trust that he had changed
2: Hmm. it's almost like another goodbye to them too They, they were all living in different homes for the most part so they were separated and now like they're finally getting to know like, okay, my sister is here with these people and now that's changing again. So it's almost like another like rip of the bandaid, you've separated these kids into various different homes and and now they're going away to another potentially unknown, potentially harmful situation and they they just don't know. I think they just have a um, potentially a lack of trust with with Mm -hmm. some individuals that they may have encountered in their life.
3: Yeah, so that was tough. Telling them was probably the hardest part but yeah, it's emotional when you like start taking apart their room and oh, you know, yeah. we have the nursery for the baby for eight months, then like taking all that away and packing it up and stuff. And it's definitely emotional and it takes time. But what's good is they do pre-placement visits when they're moving to a new home. So you get to meet the new family. Sometimes they come over to your home, you can go over to their home. Um, you exchange emails and numbers and make sure that there's you know, information being transferred back and forth. The kid gets to visit for an afternoon then have a sleepover then maybe say for a few days, hmm. they try and make it a smooth transition, but also keeping it moving quickly because they don't want the kid in the system as long as, you know, Yeah, yeah. so it's um, they, they do the best they can, but it's of course not ideal.
1: Yeah. So you, you, you mentioned like in that case, uh, you know, the dad was coming over very, very soon. Uh, can you tell us about the, the amount of level of interaction these kids are going to have with their biological parents? Do you, they have visits? Do you take them to a park or, or what is that interaction? And I would imagine maybe you have had these experiences that once they interact with their parents, they get all worked up, they get in this old mindset and then they come home and they might be wild and crazy or, or very sad. Um, what, what, what have been your experiences with the biological parents?
3: Yeah, absolutely. It definitely varies case by case drastically. Um, but the interaction that they're allowed to have with their bio parent is the biggest indication about where the case is headed. So if those interactions are increasing in frequency, they might start out like a once a week, two-hour visit. Now it's you know a whole afternoon together. Now it's a sleepover. Then you know that kid is going and to be reunified very soon. Um, if it's going the other way, which we've also had, where it used to be an in-person visit, now it's a virtual visit, now it's the parent needs to complete coaching before the visit can even take place virtually, hmm. then you know things are going in the opposite direction, this kid is not going home, things are not good. Um, but it definitely varies. So some, they can see their parent you know, a couple times a week. Some they can go to their home and see them. Some but it needs they're not to be coming into at, they're
1: not coming into your home, are they?
3: No, I mean, it can happen that way when reunification is very close. You okay. certainly can do that. okay. Um but typically no. Okay. typically, they can visit the bio parent. they um, go to a facility for these things where visits happen. They have like a little playroom and tables, and sometimes the visit might happen at like, a restaurant, a McDonald's, it might happen at a park. um, And sometimes it needs to be supervised, sometimes not supervised. It all depends on the unique situation, why the child was placed, what the parent's behavior has been like at previous visits. Mm -hmm. So it's uh, hard to say for everybody, but we've seen a little bit of everything.
2: Yeah. And when they, when they come home from those, um, I think you're, you're right. They definitely come back with a little bit of we've seen them come back with questions of like, why can't I stay with them? Like, I got a chance to see them. Are they ready? They seem ready to take me back. They said they're ready. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) They said they're ready. Um, And then you kind of have to explain again, like why they're not ready. And, and, um, you know, explain that they're trying to get ready. And this is one of those steps for them to to get ready to take you back. Um, But yeah, they, they sometimes come back, not only with questions, but some of the behaviors that they had uh you know when they were with their biological parent Mm -hmm. that they were removed from uh I remember one court date um the one of our our six-year-old foster child was um there in court with the biological mother and the biological mother brought them uh you know a bag full of candy and like uh toys Mm -hmm. and, and they just uh they went wild uh, a little <laughs> bit and she she came home with all of those things and was like really expecting to chow down on that bag <laughs> okay. of candy when she came home. So. Yeah,
3: and it was like, you know, like a flip, you know, the switch flipped instantly yeah. and she went back right into her old routine and acting the way she used to act before she came and all of that kind of went out the window. Yeah, But, you know, you expect it, you let it happen and we just kind of slowly get back into our routine, talk about our feelings. Um, and when the child is school age, you let the teachers or school counselor know that these visits are happening and then they usually will schedule maybe like a quick counselor check-in the next day go through what you're feeling kind of process all of that and for the younger kiddos you you know hold them tight and look at photos if you have photos and talk about what happened and just be there for them
1: yeah now i think it's important to to talk about one aspect of of fostering uh, that that maybe some of our listeners might not know about, but the government or the state doesn't necessarily expect you to foot the bill for for a crib or, or for all these things. Can you maybe just? I know it's not a lot, but can you maybe just talk about uh, what uh, stipend or what dollar amount the the state gives you? To and I know it's <laughs> it's, it's very little, but how do they help support you uh, in in the fostering effort?
3: Yeah. Uh, So they do give you a small stipend monthly, and it does vary based on the child's age and needs. So medically fragile child or child that needs a bunch of like devices for communication, say, um, they are going to be sometimes double what we would get for neurotypical or physically abled uh child. Yeah. Um, but it's it's small. I think it ends up coming like a dollar, a dollar an hour type of thing. Yeah,
2: it's like maybe $20, $25 a day if if yeah if that and again again it varies.
3: But. Yeah. so you, you use that for the basics. Um they also do pay you for travel if you're taking this child to appointments or visits. Sometimes transportation is provided for visits, sometimes it's not. So sometimes you're doing that. If you're bringing them to go visit their sibling or whatever it may be, they will reimburse you for those things. If you uh, have to enroll the child in a summer camp or an academic program of some sort, they do try and make sure that they help you with those things we had to enroll the six year old in um, kindergarten enrichment because mm-hmm. her kindergarten was only half day and she was so behind. They really needed her in a full day program yeah. and it would have been, you know, upwards of $500 a month. Yeah. And they made sure that that was a sponsorship was applied. We did not have to do that with a scholarship and everything. Yeah. So they try, Yeah. but you know, it's not, it's not great and we totally get why a lot of people cannot do it um other good thing is they do help with holidays and they make sure the kids are on lists to be sponsored for holiday gifts and yeah. all of that so that's really helpful
1: but
2: sometimes like tough. these these kids don't yeah. come with much yeah. you know, they right? come like, with nothing yes uh-huh. um we've heard they that sometimes they come with like just a garbage bag of their belongings yeah. but we
3: haven't even in, seen in that. our
2: situation <laughs> that has not happened our, our uh five-month-old wow. came with the pajamas he was wearing the the what you know, the wet diaper he was in and. Uh, oh my so gosh. we're
3: scrambling to go right. buy diapers and formula and everything that night. Yeah.
2: Our, Percy, the like, other two yeah. came
3: with the clothes on their back, which were unwearable and not anything else. Wow. So you have to kind of act fast and, yeah. but you're able, they do give you also a stipend for clothing when the child arrives. Uh-huh. So you kind of fill out what the child came with, what condition it was in, and then based on that, they'll say, okay, here's $100, $200, and go get them a couple basics.
1: Yeah. Oh my gosh, I can't. Uh, Yeah, that's heartbreaking and just absolutely wild that these kids arrive in these conditions. I heard a story once of a lady who was really, she would take kids in the foster system and she would go to the store and buy them a nice suitcase uh, and some nice mm-hmm. clothes because like you said a lot of these kids just have a plastic bag with their stuff in it and she's like that's yes. not acceptable. And we so. did that
3: same thing. We wanted them to have duffel bags for their overnights when they see their siblings. We wanted them to be able to move out in a way that communicated their things were worthy mm-hmm. of having somewhere to put them. So like we made sure that they had like bins when they moved and things were labeled and everything was, you know, organized because they are worthy and their things are worthy. For sure.
1: Oh,
2: yeah. And sometimes we see these kids hang on to like yes. weird things because like they're, they're coming from a situation where they lost not only their family, but their their belongings in many cases where they, they can't get them back. So um, our six year old was was getting like these little goodie bags from like birthday parties at school. And uh, they'd come in like these plastic bags with you know, those those ties on twist ties on top, and she would hold on to those twist ties even, really, uh, because y- you know it's something it's, it belongs to her, and she yeah. would keep that in. We called it a little like private box of all her like special belongings. So mm-hmm. it's interesting what they hang on to. So we definitely want to respect uh, their things and give it the right like uh, departure as well.
0: I love that. Mm-hmm. I love that. Ooh, ooh. One of the last questions that 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 I kind of had around maybe the logistics of uh, fostering a child is kind of around the, the the do's and don'ts. What are there any specific rules and things that you can't do when you foster a child? Like I know we talked earlier about going across state lines, or you know. I don't know, posting to social media pictures or sharing the child's name in a public forum like this. I mean, are there any like specific rules that you guys have to abide by? Like if you guys want to go on a family vacation, I mean, how does that all work out?
3: Yeah. So there's a few. Again, they're really thankful for you opening up your home. So they try and make it as less of a burden as possible. But there are uh, a couple things. So you definitely can go on vacation. You can take them across state lines as long as you inform the agency that's what you're doing. They just need to know like an address where you're going to be, how long you're going to be there. Um, it, was, like, it was
2: tricky during COVID. Uh, there was right. definitely COVID restriction there are restrictions.
3: We could not like leave that. the state yeah. for any reason yet.
1: Oh wow, um, interesting.
3: But now it's you know much more opened up. Um, and sometimes that's just so that they can reschedule. Bio parent visits and make sure that those aren't you know being infringed upon while you're gone for an extended period of time. Um, but you definitely can go on vacation. I believe you can even leave the country as long as you get permission from the biological family. Um, you can cut their hair, you can make medical appointments, you can enroll them in tutoring or uh, pick a babysitter for them. all those normal parent things you can do. Uh, you cannot post them to social media. You can't
2: um, change their hairstyle, right? You can cut their hair about, right? No, you, you can
3: change it. Unless there's like a religious reason or a cultural reason, you can do whatever you want with their hair.
2: Okay, for some reason I remember.
3: There used to hearing... be a rule you couldn't.
2: Uh, huh, maybe interesting. What I'm remembering.
3: Um, uh, another thing is you cannot educate them according to your religion without permission from the biological parent. And mm. you have to respect the religion of the bio family if that's something that's important to them okay so if that child is used to going to synagogue every week or whatever it may be you have to keep doing those things even if you're not present you need to arrange something so that that is still being a part of the child's life oh interesting. Uh, like you know our, our foster kids kids celebrate christmas with us but we can't be like teaching them all of the religious intricacies of it, unless we've checked with the bio family.
1: First, oh, kind of okay. So you'd have to get confirmation from them. If it's okay to take the family to church on Sunday. Um, Correct. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. And,
3: and, and if we've they seen, were to we've be seen leniency with that, we've seen people kind of slide by with that, but that's something that we think is important. Just out of respect for the first family.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. Cause yeah. Especially if you got someone who was a, uh, you know, something to, to, totally different. Then you're like, well, you don't know, have to arrange something, and uh, that would be, yeah, that's a that's an interesting thing I didn't think about. Hmm. Mm-hmm. That's cool. Well, I can tell that you guys are so passionate about this. I mean, uh, you know, I I know that it, it takes a lot to, and you've got to be passionate about it to get a baby at <laughs> two o'clock in the morning, uh, or else you're not suited for this job, right? Uh, but I can tell you both are, are very passionate about it, and I can feel the love that you have in your hearts to share with these kids uh, and and to really make a difference uh, in the world one child at a time. And I feel like this is such a special topic for me and something that touches my heart because, you know, if, if people want to make a change in the world, you have to start with yourself. You're the one that has to take that action. A lot of times we look to the government to take action, or we look to are these charitable organizations in which they do do good, but really our own actions is what makes that effect in the world. And I, in my opinion, there's no better action to take than to help children uh, along their way in, in this life. And so, uh, I think it's just, just so great that you guys are doing this and we, we really appreciate you talking to us ab- about this. Uh, before we kind of go into the next portion where we ask you about your personal creeds, is there anything else about, uh, fostering that maybe you had in mind to share that you didn't get a chance to share? We'd love to hear the, any additional details there.
3: Yeah. Um, one thing I guess we can talk about is we know that being a foster parent can be wildly intimidating. And especially now that you've heard all like the dirty little details about <laughs> everything, it might even seem more so. Um, but there's ways for people to support these children in so many different ways ways and um, you need to do what is right for your family and what you're comfortable with and if you know that you can never cope with being a foster parent there is no judgment and no shame and no reason to guilt yourself Um, but there's other ways you can help and you can sponsor children there's websites where you can do that for the holidays or all year round if there's a foster family who can't afford to get the child a bike or send them to summer camp or whatever it is. There are sites where you can um, help them with that. You can sponsor them for the holidays. You can um, be a kinship placement if there's someone in your life who could really use it. Um, You can also volunteer as a court-appointed special advocate Um, You can look up what CASA or GAL, that's the um, guardian ad litem, and those are volunteers who make sure that the judge has all the information on this kid and are their voice for the child in the courtroom. Hmm. A lot of times, Child Protective Services is the bio parent's voice and kind of has their interest in mind, and that's been really frustrating for us to see. But these CASA and GAL volunteers, are really fantastic. They're in, I believe, 49 states. Um, so you can look up how to volunteer and be a part of that. And they are wildly wonderful. And part of the reason we continue to do foster care is just because of them and how fantastic they are.
2: It really takes a village. There's a lot of, lot of people, a lot of, lot of people behind the scenes when it comes to just, just one foster child. When we talk about, you know, 400,000 kids in foster care, there's uh probably double, triple that uh, amount of parents, uh, adults who are supporting these children in various different ways. So uh, quite a few people are already involved in various different ways. So I think there there are definitely diverse ways and different ways you you can help out.
3: Yeah, and help where you are and don't feel bad if you can't do everything because we all just do what we can. And I guess the difference with us is we just said yes. And that's kind of the first step. It's, yeah. We're no different than anybody else. We just went ahead and said yes when most people say no.
2: Yeah, and and maybe one piece of advice, maybe I would add is, uh, you know, sometimes this is uh, it, it can be very you can feel very guilty about you know taking being being uh, the reason not necessarily the reason, but the thing that holds a child away from their their biological parents and uh, what Lisa said about. Compartmentalizing early on in the discussion, I think, is very much true because this is going to be uh, really difficult to uh, as a foster parent, um, and it's perfectly okay to say no to a placement. Sometimes you know you get the call and um, you feel the urge to say yes because these kids are in a tough situation, but sometimes you have to also you know make sure you're you're well and you're able to process and, and manage all of these things and. And, and not be, you know, the, the superhero all the time yeah. and just give yourself a little bit of that time and, and love that you give this the, yeah. the same amount to the kids.
3: Just do what's right for your family, whatever yeah. that is.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, um, those are that's those are great tidbit. I'm glad I asked you that question because that's excellent. Excellent. There's no. There's so many ways to be involved, whether you're an actual foster parent or you're fostering to adopt or you're just an advocate or you're just sending some money for these kids for Christmas or, or for some additional funds. Um, thank you for mentioning that. Uh, do you have any other questions, Ethan? No. So the last part of our, our, our episode here uh, that we always ask our, our guests is about their personal creed. So uh, we are a Brothers Creed podcast. and What a creed is is a set of personal beliefs or uh Aims or pillars of of that guide you in your life, you could say. And so, this could be a mantra or a personal quote, uh, or maybe a scripture or some life advice uh, that we'd love to hear from each of you if you could share a piece of your creed with us in our audience.
3: Sure. Um, we did spend some time thinking about this a little bit, and I guess I have kind of two. One just for everything in life and my personal life and all of that. And one, maybe for my uh, career, I guess. Yeah. Um, So as a teacher, my philosophy was something that Socrates said, that education is not the filling of a vessel. It's the kindling of a flame. And I guess that does apply to foster care as well, too, that these children don't come to you empty. They come to you with so much life experience more than we have in our adult lives sometimes. And they come to you with so much knowledge and all these schemas, you know, happening in there. Um, and we're not supposed to fill them up. We're just supposed to ignite them and allow them to be what they are. Yeah. And that's something I tried to do, you know, as a teacher. I'm not here for you to absorb every all of my ideas, but just kind of light a fire under you and just be a champion for you to pursue your own way. Um, and then In my personal life, my parents always just said one day at a time and some days you just need to tell yourself, I just need to get through today and then I have accomplished that and then I can worry about tomorrow and being a foster parent, sometimes it's not even one day at a time. Sometimes it's one afternoon at a time. Sometimes (laughs) it's the next 15 minutes, you know, and just getting through this one thing, then I can check it off. I did it. I made it. It's an accomplishment. And now I can allow myself to focus and be anxious for the next thing, but just (laughs) one moment at a time.
1: Yes. Love that.
2: Yeah. Yeah. For me, I also have two, I I couldn't pick from, from two. So one Jared goes back a little bit to, to what you said. um, And it's a quote from Abraham Lincoln. And he said the best way to predict the future is to create it. So Really, to me, that means like um, don't just sit around for the future to happen. It's like do something about it because the best way to to predict it is really to to make it happen. Um, so that's you know really uh, important to me to try to do something uh, that's going to help these children and, and help um, their future. And and I want to see I want to see kids happier in this world. And I want to make sure that they're loved and and that that has a ripple effect generation after generation, right? Like if they know what love is and feels like, and have seen it, uh, they're more more likely to do that when, when they're older with, Mm -hmm. with their kids, or even maybe they become foster parents themselves at some point in their life. and, And they they've had good examples. So, um, that's, that's one that I would say. Um, the second one, uh, for me is, uh, something Einstein, uh, had said and, and, It's um, if I had an hour to solve a problem, I'd spend 55 minutes thinking about the problem and five minutes thinking about the solution. And that's really how I approach life uh, in general is just, I want to make sure I'm thinking very deeply about what is the problem at hand and not jumping to like, what's the solution? What's the easy solution here? Uh, It's helped me, you know, on the work front, it's helped me on the personal front is just really reflecting on the situations that I'm in, potentially the problems that I may be encountering or, or involved in, really thinking deeply about them and why I may be feeling the way I'm feeling or why the situation is what it is before I jump to, well, what do I do about it? So uh, it's really been important for me uh, to be very reflective on, on those kind of things.
3: Mm-hmm. That is very you. Yeah. <laughs> yes.
1: Yes. I love both of your your comments there, uh, Lisa. When you were saying yours, you reminded me of a quote that I've I've, I've liked, especially if I've as my kids are getting older. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I have four boys, uh, and I it, it was that uh, children aren't necessarily clay to be molded, but rather mm-hmm. seeds to be grown. Uh, and and, uh, and seeds can be different, you know. And so each of my kids is unique in their own way, uh, and it's it's very similar to what you said uh, about. Kindling that, starting that kindling of that fire, as opposed to just uh, feeling a vessel. So I love that. And then Rishi, uh, you know, your quote from Albert Einstein reminded me. I think of you know another quote was something about if I had to chop down a tree, I'd, I'd sharpen my axe. And I only had an hour, I'd sharpen my axe for fifty minutes, and then and then just cut the tree down with the rest. So it just that 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 approach of uh, being very analytically minded. I wonder where that comes from. <laughs> <laughs> You and I have that in common, yes.
0: <laughs> but I, I love that. Uh, so thank you so much for sharing those. I think all of this advice and I think the conversation that we've had has just been, for me personally, it's just been greatly beneficial. Um, you know, I kind of sit back and, and it makes me question a couple things. things. Uh, it makes me question, am I providing uh, number one, the best environment at home for, for my own children? Um, right. And, and, and Uh, creating an environment that they can it can grow and 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 and, uh, you know a fire that can be kindled Um, and then at the same point am I doing enough in the community to help others Um, you know and I think that can be done even like you know, within our neighborhood, for some reason, our house just seems to be the congregation house of all of the neighbor kids. You know, the, I'll I'll look out the back window, and there'll be fifteen kids sitting in our backyard. And I think it's because we don't let our kids leave our yard, and so everyone <laughs> yeah, else's kids for the next ten houses down on each right. side of the road, they just come to our our backyard, uh, which is fine. You know, They're the coolest kids in the neighborhood. Yeah, yeah, of course. <laughs> um and so, uh, you know, I think it's it, maybe is that an opportunity for me to show a, a good loving example to uh, to my own children and to these other kids that 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 kind of are are, are under my domain right in my yard and, and uh, you know, playing with my kids. I don't know their situations, but, um, you know, I don't think you have to know someone's situation to 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 be kind and to show love, uh, show love to them. So. Um, this has been an excellent conversation for uh, our listeners out there. Uh, if there, if there's any additional questions, you can uh, email us. Would it be okay if maybe we forwarded you some questions if they if they came to us? Um, you know, if, if anybody is interested in, in fostering or, you know, sponsoring a child or in, in any way, um, you know, I think that's, that's very admirable and, and it would be a great thing to do. So, um, but as far as like looking for general resources, you said that they could go to maybe the
1: state website or is it, is it a County? Is this a state thing or a County thing?
3: Yes. I'd recommend going to your County. Okay. Um, and looking at how to be involved Uh, If you want to go that way. I mean, if you're Mm -hmm. going to into adoption, you can, of course, obviously go to private uh, places too. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I recommend going to uh, your county. And um, if you are interested in the volunteer work, just looking up CASA and GAL and their whole network will help you on that facet as well.
1: Excellent.
2: Yeah, and there's lots of different uh, other ways to learn more. There are definitely social media groups, of foster parents like exchanging advice and you know situations and and um you know helping each other through through some of these situations that we we find yeah sometimes
3: in. there is not a great support network and you might feel a little bit alone um but connecting with other foster parents and letting your foster children connect with other foster children yeah. too so they don't feel alone uh is helpful
1: excellent well thank you so much uh we appreciate that we'll, we'll uh be posting some things on our social media, on our Instagram page about uh, maybe some of these different statistics and, uh, of course, clips from the episode. Uh, So for our listeners out there, definitely follow us there. And uh, Lisa and Rishi, thank you so much for joining us. And for our audience, uh, let's build our creed together. All right. Thank you, guys. We
0: appreciate it.
2: Thank you so much. Thank you.